Today's episode of The Metrospective is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. It is episode number 74 of The Metrospective. Pete McCarthy with Tim Britton. How are you, Tim? Surviving, Pete. Did my grocery shopping today for the first time in two weeks. I'm stocked up for for a month, basically, now. I'm good. That's a big day. That's a big day to cross off the list, and now you can stay home for the next 13 and uh, and do the do the things we're supposed to be doing right now as we all roll through. And, you know, it's been odd without live sports obviously all this nostalgia watching classic games we've been going back into the Mets past uh, as well and we go back uh, all the way about 18 months uh, with the, <laughs> the longtime captain of the New York Mets David Wright who is kind enough to join us and, and David thank you so much and uh, how are you doing w- what is the, a day like for you in the midst of what's happening well you know it's uh, you know fortunate to to have our health certainly, um, you know, with everything that's going on, um, you know, we're, we're thankful for, you know, having the two little ones to keep us busy. You know, my wife's doing a tremendous job playing teacher in the morning and then, uh, you know, trying to do something to keep them entertained in the afternoon. So, uh, you know, all in all, you know, thankful to be healthy and doing well. Yeah. How difficult was it for you? You know, you were coaching your daughter's softball team to, you know, I I hope you guys got close to the end of the season and, you know, how, how did that whole experience go for you? Well, we got one game in and picture day for whatever that's the most important things. But, you know, although we don't keep score, I'm pretty sure I'm undefeated in T-ball. So, uh, you know, I'll put that on my resume. You didn't even get an ejection out of it? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, you know, hopefully this season somehow continues or next season I'll uh, get my money's worth. I want to be like the Bobby Cox of, of the Little League here. So, uh, you know, maybe I can break the record. Just need to expand that strike zone, you know, for your pitchers. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I want to try to sneak a couple more out on defense, you know, when the other coach isn't looking, uh, you know, maybe try to shorten the base, base paths from, from my team since we have the little throwdown basis. So I'm, I'm thinking of things during this quarantine that I can do to bend the rules a little bit in Little League. How about as part of the quarantine? I know I've watched uh, some old Mets games and, you know, SNY is the classic games. Happy to catch your return in Philadelphia, the home run you hit in your first at bat back. Uh, maybe during the quarantine, maybe over the last 18 months, are there any games that you've gone back and watched any video of your career that, that you've seeked out? Um, you know, I get texts all the time from friends saying, you know, you're ugly mugs on SNY again, you know, or something like that. But, um, you know, trying to get my kids, you know, and my wife to, to watch old games of me is like pulling teeth. So, you know, maybe for uh, nostalgic reasons, I would like to, but, Usually I get um, overruled to Frozen 2 or Paw Patrol or PJ Masks or something of that nature. So, um, you know, that's where we stand right now. I'm, I'm pretty uh, outnumbered in the household. So, uh, you know, we're a democracy out here in the, in the right household. So, you know, their votes weigh a lot more than mine. You have a favorite Disney movie now? I'm pretty sure I can recite Frozen 2 and sometimes I get caught like singing the, you know, when the, the sound from the forest starts happening, you know, the high tune and I'll start just belting that thing out in the middle of the house. But, 
I'm pretty sure Frozen One and Two, I can uh, I can star in the next one. David, we we haven't chatted in depth in about 18 months or so, and, I, and I'm wondering when you look back at that that last game that you had that Saturday night against the Marlins, uh, kind of what are your memories of that night specifically, and and what did that mean to you? You know, you spoke about it pretty eloquently then, but looking back now, what does that mean to to have come back like that and played in front of your daughters that way? Yeah, it was amazing. It wasn't just you know, obviously my daughters are you know, everything to me, but, you know, being able to come back and for me, thank the fans, you know, it's, it's, I was 21 years old a 21 year old kid from Virginia. You know, I still remember the day that I got called up flying over Shea Stadium on a little prop plane, you know, from Norfolk international airport and, and, and flying over Shea and being like, wow, you know, here it goes. And I didn't know what kind of reaction I did. I didn't know what kind of results I could produce. I got off to a decent start and it seems like from then on, you know, the fans have, you know, certainly had my back. So, um, you know, although it was, you know, a dream of mine to play in front of my two girls, you know, also I wanted to, you know, show the fans the respect that they deserve for having my back through a lot of, you know, ups and downs, uh, you know, a lot, you know, some good, some ugly, some bad, you know, play from myself individually and from the team. So, um, you know, it was really cool to be able to do that one last time and to see the, the, outpouring of love I mean I got there at uh, my usual time 11 or 12 in, in I guess the late morning early afternoon and I mean just the dozens and dozens of fans waiting for me at the, the players parking lot just to say hello and um, you know say thank you when all I wanted to do was kind of say thank you to them for just all the support that I received throughout my career and of course famously in that game your last at bat it's caught in foul territory by Peter O'Brien and, and I read I had just read this the other day, but he told MLB.com over a year ago that he asked you essentially for a souvenir and you obliged after the fact. It was, so I think it, I think the story goes that one of the, if it was either one of his teammates or one of the visiting clubhouse kids. Um, it, it had to have been one of the visiting clubhouse kids asked him to come over and ask me if I could sign something for him. Well, I think either the clubhouse kid did it or one of the, his teammates like wrote a ball you know, and put it in his locker and put like F you for catching that or something and, and signed it, David, you know, like, and then, you know, then, it, then they brought it over and I signed a ball to him. I said, no, no, really, you should have let it drop, you know, and signed it. So it's, you know, it's, it's fun back. Like I said, it's, he can't let that drop, but um, you know, it's funny how things, uh, my first at bat in my career, Brian Schneider basically dove over the visiting bench, the railing to make a catch. And then the last bat of my career, you know, I foul out on the other side of the diamond, but, um, you know, is is I, I call it a win because I made contact and, uh, you know, during my live BPs against our pitcher, pitchers trying to get ready for that last couple of days, I wasn't making much contact. So I'll take that as a win. You had talked that night that, you know, as, as satisfying as it was to get back for that game, it wasn't, there still wasn't like a full sense of closure for you. Uh, right. how, how do you feel about that now looking back and what is that process like in retirement now? Well, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, I would have certainly liked things to play out differently. Um, you know, but at a relatively young age, I remember my, my, my mom and my dad telling me that, um, you know, and, and, and they use more eloquent or eloquent words, but like reach your ceiling, reach your potential, you know, do everything you can work wise, work ethic, uh, you know, lunch pail, bring it to work every day, you know, blue collar mentality to when it's all said and done that you can put your head on your pillow at night and sleep well, knowing that, you know, you did everything of your God given ability. Like you worked at it. Um, you reached your potential. 
And when I look back on it, obviously it's, it's easy to say, you know, what if this, what if that, or, you know, if I just could have stayed healthy, um, you know, what would have happened, but, you know, it was out of my control. You know, I really felt like I did everything possible to uh, become the best player at, at barely over six foot and 205 pounds that, that I could become. And when I look back on it, I'm, I'm proud of it because, uh, you know, talent wise, I wasn't nearly as talented as a lot of other players that I was playing with and against, but I felt like, you know, my work ethic and the way how badly I wanted it uh, kind of made up for some of my shortcomings, you know, athletically. How are you feeling physically at this point? Well, I do, you know, uh, my daily routine still consists of all my back stuff. You know, I wake up in the morning, uh, you know, in normal times, I would, I would take my daughter to preschool, drop her off, head over to, you know, the local gym that I go to, do about an hour of back stuff, mix in a quick, you know, body weight type workout. Um, you know, so it's still a big part of my everyday life. You know, this morning I got up, you know, did some back stuff. Um, I enjoy uh, some of the cardio that I can do is riding the bike. So I enjoy riding the, the stationary bike, you know, working up a sweat, trying to, you know, not get fat, I guess. Um, you know, so that's that's basically what my day consists of. But but the back exercises are part of it six days a week. Are you on the Peloton, like competing with people? Are you one of these guys now? No, I, I, I do take some classes, but they're always the library classes. Um, you know, I, I can't get enough. I love watching golf now. Um, and I saw that, uh, you know, Rory and some of the younger guys are doing these challenges on the, you know, on the Peloton and, uh, you know, I've been following it from afar, but I don't think I can compete with them. I'm, you know, a broken down close to 38 year old. And, uh, you know, these guys are in their prime, so I don't want to go embarrass myself. What's it been like seeing the game now from the other side of things, being in the, the Mets front office, uh, the last, last year and a half and kind of how, how has that matched your expectations or, or what has surprised you about working in a, in a front office this way? Yeah, it's been really cool because I had zero interest in doing this when I was done playing, um, at least right away. And Brody um, contacted me when he, when he got the job and the general manager's meetings were in San Diego. So I drove down to San Diego, um, met with him for a lunch and he said, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you. And I said, well, you know, it's, that's, that's flattering, but I don't really you know, have much of a desire to do this. And he said, well, you know, what about if, you know, you kind of make your own schedule, you kind of come and go as you please, you know, we'd just like to have you around, work with some of the younger minor leaguers, um, you know, talk hitting with some of the, the hitting guys uh, and, uh, you know, help us out as far as roster construction or free agents or trades. And, you know, it's been really exciting. I'm glad that I, I took him up on that. Um, you know, I don't do much work, honestly, um, you know, but when I'm around, they pick my brain. Um, and, you know, I can look at the back of somebody's baseball card and obviously tell if they're a good player. But I think what's just as important is that compatibility in the clubhouse. You're around these guys more than you're around your family during the summer. So I think often, you know, sometimes it's easy to overlook um, the personality aspect or what type of teammate, what type of leader, how they're going to gel with everybody else. And I think that that's an important aspect and something that I can bring to the table. If I don't know somebody personally, I can find out fairly easy with all the, the contacts that I've made over the years. So um, I've enjoyed seeing the business side of it. Um, I've enjoyed seeing kind of that, 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 you know, the trades that are being offered back and forth. Some of them, um, some of the free agent type stuff, um, the way that, you know, analytically, you know, we're thinking. Um, so it's been, been a learning experience for me as well. Well, you were the architect for DeGrom's contract extension, right? Uh, I, I think that I'm getting a little too much credit for that. DeGrom's, J Jake's, uh, this might be a bit of a conflict of interest because Jake's one of my best friends also. Um, you know, so uh, it was just kind of funny how 
um, you know, actually, uh, the day that that kind of happened, um, I brought in, there's a good donut place in Port St. Lucie and I hadn't had it in a while. So I stopped by and picked up a couple dozen donuts for some of the front office, uh, and support staff. So I was dropping off donuts kind of, you know, desk to desk, you know, just saying I was going to leave, I think the next day or something to head back home. And, uh, you know, Brody's like, pull up a chair. I said, all right. So he pulls up a chair and he's like, take a look at this. Would you sign this? And I was like, uh, I don't know. You know, we went back and forth on a couple of different scenarios and, you know, from a player's perspective, I gave him what, you know, was important to me when I, I'd gone through this a couple of times. And um, I'm not sure if I got the deal done, but uh, hopefully I was able to add a little something to it. Well, what specifically did you add? Um, you know, I'm not sure, uh, okay. you know, nobody would appreciate the, uh, you know, the, I might get fired after a year and a half of this. So, you know, I'll keep that between Brody and myself, but, uh, you know, some of the structuring type stuff, um, you know, I don't get involved with too many of the numbers and stuff, but, but, but how it's structured, um, you know, some things like that. And obviously I know Jake well, and, and he's a blue collar type guy, like I think I am. So, um, and I know how much he loves the organization, loves the Mets. So, um, yeah, I think it was a, uh, fairly easy choice that he wanted to be here because he's absolutely dominant. Yeah, you just wanted to keep him just a little bit below where you were for your contract extension, right? <laughs> just, just make sure. Oh, I, I need to have the upper hand on Jake. You know, it's uh, uh, you know a couple All Star games and 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 two Cy Youngs, and he would have uh, you know probably far outreached what I was ever worth. So um, you know, I'm glad we got it done, and, and it seems like both sides are pretty pretty happy with it. So, you know, hopefully he, uh, you know, wins a couple more Cy Youngs and, uh, you know, brings some more hardware to the Mets. You, you talked about the the personality aspect of the clubhouse. And I'm wondering for, for you, you know, you were the captain with the Mets. Uh, what's it been like to see Pete Alonzo kind of take over uh, that mantle in the, in the community and in the clubhouse uh, at such a young age and kind of how he's acclimated to being in New York uh, right away? Yeah. So, you know, it seems like, you know, he's got a big personality. Um, it seems like, um, you know, he's genuine when he opens his mouth. Um, you know, it seems like, uh, he's going to be able to back up what he did his, his rookie year for years to come. Um, you know, so I think it starts with producing on the field and he's certainly proven that, that he's the type of guy that you can build around, you know, slot him in, in the middle of the lineup and, and he'll be a run producing machine. Um, you know, now it's, you know, uh, you know, I get asked all the time, like, you know, what does it take to be named captain or what's it take to become a leader? I think the answer is fairly easy is just be genuine, just be yourself. And if your teammates start looking at you in that regard, you know, that's how you gain the respect of that clubhouse. It isn't, you know, going around and, and um, you know, being the loudest guy or being the, the, the biggest talker or anything like that. It's just being genuine. And for me, at least it was always, um, the guys that I looked up to when I was a rookie or my first couple of years were guys that led by example, you know, put the work in behind the scenes. If something needed to be said, pulling them aside, not in front of the cameras or the media and, and, and dealing with your business that way. So those are the types of guys that I followed when I was a younger player. And that's the type of leader that I wanted to be. So I was going to go out there, play the game hard, play the game the right way, prepare correctly. And hopefully guys followed that. You know, it took you eight and a half years before you got that title of captain do you think you needed that much time? Can some guys, you know, establish all that within, let's say, two years and become a, a captain of a team of a franchise that quickly? Would would you want to have that extra responsibility and and the moniker and what goes with it that early? This is my opinion, so this has nothing to do with 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 Pete. But I'm glad that it took me that long to not necessarily earn it, but 
you know, when you're a young player, you got guys that have, uh, or at least for me, you know, there were Hall of Famers on that team. There were perennial all-stars. So, you know, when you speak and very, you know, I would say rarely did I hold team meetings or anything, but when you have something to say, you want it to be impactful. You want it to be meaningful. And I'm not sure how Mike Piazza would have taken it or, you know, Johnny Franco or uh, Tom Glavin or, you know, Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, these veteran type guys, how they would have taken it if some, you know, 23, 24 year old kid is telling them what they need to do to, to play better baseball. So, um, you know, there's still, is obviously some seniority, uh, you know, in the game, which I think it should be, but being around this team, seeing the respect that it seems like Pete commands from, you know, guys that are his age, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. It seems like they have a tight knit nucleus and it seems like they all get along. They all respect each other. Um, you know, and they all want to accomplish this. They're all pulling the rope from the same side, which obviously makes it, you know, a lot easier uh, you know, when you're trying to, you know, be a leader or do the right things. The cookie club. Do you, uh, do you get credit for starting that? Cause you got the cookies when you returned to Philly back in 2015. These guys are getting all these free cookies. And <laughs> I used to go to that place like every, every trip. And I even found the one in New York. So I was walking to that place and, and buying the cookies and I never got any free cookies. These guys are getting <laughs> shipments. These guys are getting shipments of it. Uh, you know, it's actually funny is the be the best cookie that I've ever had. I'm a big cookie guy also. But the best cookie that I've ever had, our, our, our bullpen catcher, Dave Racanello, is a big baker. Uh, and I don't know if Tim knows Rack at all, but um, he makes incredible cookies. And I told him he lost all this publicity that he could have had. He kind of semi-retired from it. And now he's trying to bring it back up to catch up to get, you know, try to get his name back out there for his cookies. But, uh, you know, they're amazing. So I told him he needs to be on this. So I think he started, you know, making cookies for those guys this spring training. Chocolate chip or, or what, what, how diverse is rack? He goes a little, his, his mainstays are, um, what is the, the, the sea salt and chocolate chip. Mm -hmm. Then my favorite is the, uh, the Reese's peanut butter cup, which okay. is stellar. And then he's got a, um, s'mores and those are kind of his three go-tos. Um, you know, so if, if, if he, if this bullpen catching thing, he's been doing it for a long time, but if it doesn't work out, I think he can become a, a baker or maybe give insomnia a run for their money since I'm not happy with them since I never got any free cookies. <laughs> Need to get the freebies. David remembers and uh, we're chatting with David right here on the Metros uh, Metrospective. You could subscribe on the Athletic iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, how about this offseason, David? Your longtime teammate Carlos Beltran becomes the manager and then the Astros cheating scandal is out there no longer the manager. What was it like for you to watch a, a longtime teammate ascend to that position and then watching the, the downfall play out this offseason? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously unfortunate. But, you know, as I've said, you know, before, whether it's, uh, you know, any kind of wrongdoing um, that I learned in the minor leagues, we had a minor league coach, Guy Conti, that told me and it stuck with me forever that there's choices, decisions, consequences. That you have choices, you make the decisions. And if you choose wrongly, you suffer the consequences. And uh, as great uh, as Carlos was to me as a younger player, um, our first spring training, he made me work out with him every day. And that was eye-opening for me because this is a guy that, you know, signed obviously one of the biggest deals in history coming off a historic postseason run with Houston um, that grabbed me, I think I was 22 years old at the time, and said, you're with me, you know, shadow me, and we're going to work out together. And it was an exhausting type workout. So I'll forever be thankful for, 
you know, Carlos kind of taking me under his wing as a younger player and, and trying to teach me how to become that five tool type player. But, you know, with that being said, you know, you, you know, you break the rules and you get caught, you got to suffer the consequences. And unfortunately that's where, where Carlos is now. And, and that's no, obviously disrespect, you know, to Carlos, it's just, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and he broke the rules and, you know, he's, he's, he's taken it as well as you could have. He's apologized and, you know, hopefully uh, everybody moves on. Would it have been hard for a manager, especially a first-time manager in that spot, to, to garner the respect of the team, I suppose? Maybe that's not the right way to phrase it with that having happened in the past with the 2017 Astros? Listen, I'll, I'll say this, and I, and I certainly don't want to, um, you know, speak negatively of Carlos because, again, I'm very thankful, you know, how he treated me and, 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 and you know, for the production. I think he's one of the most underrated Mets players of all time. I mean, his numbers are ridiculously stupid. I don't think he gets credit for uh, doing what he did for our organization. So, um, you know, with that being said, it, yeah, I mean, it was obviously would have been, you know, a dark cloud you know, the, the questions that he would have had to answer probably on a daily basis, the questions that the players would have had to answer on a daily basis, it was it would have all been centered around the scandal that the Mets had nothing to do with. And that's a tough way to start out a career. Do I think he would have made a great manager? Yes. Do I think he's one of the smartest baseball people I've ever been around? Yes. Um, it's just tough, you know, having those outside circumstances kind of follow you around for your first year. You've been you've been so tight with the Wilpons with with Fred and Jeff since the Mets drafted you. Have you thought at all about what it would be like for them to sell the team? Can you imagine the Mets being owned by anyone else uh, with them on the block right now? I mean, I personally can't. That's all I know. And um, you know, for me, having grown up in this organization, eighteen years old, um, you know, I've been a Met for more than half my life. So um, the way that I've seen been around um, ownership, their families, you know, I've seen Jeff's kids grow from literally kids to adults, you know, so, um, you know, for me, it's going to be tough for me, um, you know, to imagine, but again, um, you know, the the way that they've treated me and my family, I'll, again, forever be grateful. And, you know, I wanted, I want what's best for them as well. So, you know, if that's the case, if that's the case, but um, you know, again, they've, they've, they've treated me, uh, both professionally and on a, on a personal level, top notch. One name that's floated out there in the media reports. Can you imagine Alex Rodriguez having a role as an owner of this team? Well, he's got some money. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting kind of reading all these reports and stuff, but you know, I don't have any insight. Again, I'm a, a part-time, you know, uh, advisor that, you know, barely works as is. So uh, my insight is zero, but, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting kind of being on the outside and, and, and reading these reports and, uh, you know, I get a good chuckle out of them, but, you know, that's a, uh, it's an interesting thought. You could get a few percentage points of a team here, right? I can't afford that. That's, that's big money. That's like A-Rod's on a different level now. <laughs> the Corp. You spent all that money on cookies. That's the problem. <laughs> I know. I know. Had I gotten some of these for free, I might have been able to save up a little more. You know, of all the guys you, you played with, one that I wanted to ask you about, because you were there for the, the meteoric uh, start and obviously the injuries, game five of the World Series, how great Matt Harvey pitched in that game, and then all the physical ailments. And now he's outside of the game, and uh, we'll, we'll see if he resurfaces at some point. But – how do you make sense having had a front row seat 
to one of the most, I suppose, interesting careers at the very least in the history of this franchise. I'm pulling for Matt. I mean, he's without Matt, you know, I don't selfishly, I don't get a chance to play in a world series. Um, certainly, um, you know, he's a guy that obviously, um, you know, weighed heavily, um, after coming off that Tommy John of what, which route he should go. And, you know, fortunately and ultimately good for the organization, good for the team, good for me, he chose to pitch on and was, you know, absolutely dominant. I mean, there's a handful of seasons or pitchers that, you know, I can look back throughout my career and say, you know, this guy was on a different level. And Matt Harvey, when he was right, was on a different level. And, you know, I got to know Matt um, very well. Um, he always rented the house next to mine in spring training. So I got to know him pretty well. And uh, he's easy to root for. Um, you know, he's a guy that, again, um, I owe a great deal of gratitude for, for doing what he did, um, you know, to carry us to, to a World Series and, and do that postseason because that's, I'm sure, it was not an easy decision. And, and, you know, he did that for the good of the team, good of the organization. And if I remember, there was a game in Miami where you were in the dugout speaking with him for a few innings and the television cameras caught you. What do you remember about that conversation and looking back on it now? Well, it was just, you know, this was about the time with the, uh, you know, with the inning limit, innings limit, um, you know, and there wasn't a ton. I guess there was some sort of research out there. And I just told him, you know, we were just bouncing the pros and cons, you know, against each other, like, you know, what, was the best direction, not only for us as a team, but for, you know, him personally and, you know, how he should go about it, this and that. And he was just throwing ideas off me and I was trying to bounce them right back off of him um, because obviously it's a tough spot. You know, you look at it and it's, um, you know, somebody is telling you that, you know, this, there's this innings limit that you should abide by, but at the same time, we got a chance to do something special with that pitching staff and the addition of um, obviously Sess and, um, you know, Kelly Johnson, uh, Juan Uribe, we were, we were playing great baseball and, um, you know, it's, it's just a very difficult decision. So I just wanted to be there for him to, if he had any ideas to bounce off of and trying to, you know, just try to give him any bit of advice that I possibly could. But ultimately, you know, he, he made a decision um, that was great for, for the city, great for the fan base, great for the organization. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, we don't go to the World Series without Matt Harvey, zero chance. What, what was it like? playing behind him in that game five when he is at that other level uh, through eight innings and, and the, the crowd's going nuts for him. And when he comes back out for that ninth inning, I mean, how confident are you that, that this is the guy we want on the mound right here? Yeah, that's, that's the guy, um, you know, and that's probably the, the moment that when I think of Matt Harvey, that's what I think of in a good way um, saying that this is my game, this is my ball, and I'm going to go back out there and, and compete. Uh, ultimately, you know, it didn't work out the way that we all thought it was going to, but that's the type of guy that you want to play defense behind is the guy that wants the ball. You know, there might be some pitchers that said, you know, I got through eight, you know, let's hand it off so that good or bad, you know, I'm still going to be looked on as this dominant game. He wanted to finish that game and, you know, he deserved to. And, and I think sending him out there obviously was uh, the right call. I don't even think that he would have allowed somebody to come out there. I think he would have run out there even if Familia was coming out of the bullpen. So, you know, that's the type – when I think of Matt Harvey, that's that's the first thing that, that comes to my mind, and that's why, uh, you know, guys love playing behind him because he wanted to to win and he wanted to win badly. Those were the biggest games you played, that 2015 World Series. You know, when you're 
head hits the pillow at night. I, I don't know. Is there a game that replays in your mind? Is there anything baseball-wise that you go back through at this point? Yeah, oh, yeah. I got nothing but time now, especially now. <laughs> you, know, so it's, you know, my mind's constantly thinking about, you know, what if this or what if that or what if I could have done this, you know. But, um, you know, probably – the, the, the greatest thrill that I'll ever have, um, you know, other than being a father is, is uh, hitting a home run in the World Series. So that, that uh, you know, that replays in my mind, you know, a lot, just that feeling of, um, you know, that place going nuts and, you know, looking back on it and, uh, you know, just seeing the expressions and the, the fans' faces and, you know, uh, my family, you know, brothers and, you know, everybody just going crazy in the stands it was uh you know that's the thing you dream about as a kid and to be able to actually do that was was pretty special yeah I, I wanted to ask you you know obviously that team won the pennant in 2006 you guys won the division came really close to winning the pennant uh having played on both of those teams in, in your mind is is one better than the other you know that that 06 team had the maybe the, the better offense the, the 15 team mm -hmm. had the starting rotation uh, how do you compare those two teams in your mind and, and how close did you think each of them was to being a championship team? That's a great question. Um, I will say this, that you said if there's any great things that run through my mind when I put my head on my pillow, Yadier Molina gives me nightmares. So, <laughs> you know, on the flip side of that, I hear the name Yadier Molina and I start shaking and, you know, sweating profusely. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, as you said, both teams had their strengths, um, and I just think pitching wins. So I would say, you know, in a, in a series, I would probably give the – now this is also saying without, you know, El Duque and Pedro on that 06 team, they, they both were hurt. So, um, you know, I'd say the, the, the 2015 – that pitching staff is, you know, pretty special. And they're all clicking at the time. I mean, we had, uh, you know, Steven Matz and, and, and throwing the ball well. And obviously Noah and Matt and Jake. I mean, that's – That'd be tough to compete with. So, um, yeah, I'd probably give the edge to that 2015 team. You know, I think a Mets fan would say that 06 hurt more because it was so sudden and stunning. But maybe based on where you were at your career in both of those seasons, was 15 more painful for you? I would say 06 was more painful just because, you know, again, El Duque was throwing great. He was going to be our game one starter, I believe, if I can, if I can remember mm -hmm. correctly. But And he hurt his – foot I, I think running either the day or two days before you know that game started so that that was a big blow for us um and obviously any anytime you have pedro not out there that's going to hurt you as well um plus 06 you know i was young and we had a young nucleus and it was like okay you know we didn't do it this year it's, it's obviously disappointing but we'll do it next year you know because we're gonna have the same guys back we're gonna be even better um you know, and, and that was, you know, looking back on it, I, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more, but um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting now looking back, you know, in retrospect and, 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 you know, the attitude or the, it wasn't ignorance. It was more just maybe cockiness that it was like, okay, this is our first chance. It's certainly not going to be our last chance with this group. And, you know, lo and behold, it was our chance. So um Maybe looking back on it, it, it hurt a little more. But 2015 was, I mean, what an epic run. We were 500, you know, and, you know, kind of just treading water for the majority of the year. Then all of a sudden, you know, we catch lightning in a bottle with, with, with Sess. He comes over. Daniel Murphy turns into, you know, Babe Ruth in, in, in the postseason. Um, you know, so it's just – it was really cool to see everything come together in 2015. 
um, just how guys transformed and how we as a team transformed towards the end of the year. You mentioned that World Series home run as maybe your favorite moment. Do you have a favorite game that you played in? Is there a game you looked around and said, like, man, this is this is legit right here? Mm, I remember against the Dodgers uh, in 2006, we swept the Dodgers in the NLDS. And the first game was at home. And running out on the field for before the game for warm-ups, I, they were playing Welcome to the Jungle. And I like looked up for a second and I swear that Shay was shaking with people like jumping up. And, and it was like, to this day, it gives me goosebumps. It was amazing. And I was like, wow, this is, this is what playoff baseball is like. This is what, and then, you know, Derek Lowe was pitching for the, the Dodgers and he could have thrown the rosin bag up there. And I, I was so jacked up that I was swinging at everything. And, and it took me a couple of bats before I settled down. Uh, but, you know, it just that it, it was what I imagined playing NFL like playing football on Sundays would feel like just the adrenaline rush like baseball you want to stay a little more calm and you know I'm at my best when it's things are a little more slow so to be that jacked up that early on was a pretty neat feeling well David we uh we certainly appreciate you joining us here on the podcast and uh again congratulations on uh, your terrific career I look forward to when that number five is retired and you don't have to get into it or say anything but uh, it'll come one day. And uh, David, thank you again. Once again, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. That was a lot of fun reminiscing. Thanks for having me.